Right now, 41% of new phone sales in the U.S. are smartphones, and the percentage is rising. Google is activating more than 250,000 Android devices a day. Apple is activating more than 270,000 iOS devices a day. 300,000 on a good day, if you ask Steve Jobs. The iPad is the fastest-selling electronic device ever. Microsoft is spending $500 million to promote their new Windows Phone 7. It won't be long before there are 10 times more smartphones than PCs. Mobile. Mobile is going to be bigger than the PC was in the 80s and 90s, and bigger than the web was in the 90s and noughties. That's right, I said noughties. We're just starting to see what can happen when software becomes truly mobile and the future is full of possibilities. This is the Mobile Developer Show. This show is about mobile and a little bit about the cloud for developers and startups. I'm your host, Drew Wells. Thanks for joining me. If you'd like to check out the show notes, go to mobiledevelopershow.blogspot.com. Android is three years old. Android, the project, was announced by Google on November 5, 2007, just 10 months after Steve Jobs announced the iPhone. Eric Schmidt, CEO of Google, was on stage with Jobs that day he announced the iPhone. I don't think we've seen Eric at any Apple event since Android came out, have we? Now, if that Android announcement date sounds a little early, it's because the first Android phone wasn't available until a year later, in late October 2008. It's only been two years of Android phones, Now it looks like it'll overtake the Apple iPhone and iOS devices, too. Speaking of Apple, new market data is out, and some are saying Apple lost smartphone platform share last quarter. Now, what do you think? Is that right? Has Android devoured iOS? I'll save that answer for later. Now more Android. Gingerbread. Instamobile.com reports that Gingerbread, Android OS version 2.3, will launch this week on November 11th. There are signs other than the rumor Google just added a gingerbread statue to their lawn to go along with the eclair and cupcake. The Android Google Maps app was updated with new UI changes that everyone thinks is going to go along with the gingerbread UI refresh. And devices running gingerbread have been spotted in server log files. So, looking pretty good for a release any moment now. There's no word yet on any significant changes for developers. Gingerbread is expected to have a complete UI refresh and not many big new features. Other upgrades include WebM VP8 video file support. You were waiting. You were waiting for that, weren't you? Improved social networking features and better copy and paste. That's right. Better copy and paste. Yes. So, if 2.3 is announced this week, we could expect it to be released before the end of the year. This is not the tablet-optimized version of Android. That's expected next year with Honeycomb. So, Sounds like they're going to need that tablet-optimized version because there are a slew of tablets coming to market. Deutsche Bank analyst Jonathan Goldberg has a post of about 30 tablets that are either already released or coming by year-end. Uh, the weird thing is it includes ebooks like the Amazon Kindle and the original Nook in the tablet category with real tablets like the iPad and the Samsung Galaxy Tab. That could make some sense from a manufacturing and distribution analysis point of view, but not really for developers. In spite of that, it's still an interesting post, and there are a few takeaways. Uh, The list has some wild cards, like the RIM Playbook with its QNX-based OS. But like you'd expect, iPad and Android tablets make up the majority of the list. iPad will stay 10-inch only, and Android tablets are coming in 7-inch and 10-inch form factors. 
On the software side, on the growth, iPad app development is on the rise and growing faster than iPhone apps did over the same time period at the beginning of their development, almost twice as fast. Now, right now, there are more OS developers, of course, and there's huge excitement around the device, so it makes sense, but it's still a nice number to see. A possible glitch for Google and Android, it seems that many Android tablets will not have links to the Android market since they're running Froyo 2.2 and it's not optimized for tablets. And people hear that Google may be encouraging hardware makers to hold off releasing until the tablet-friendly OS version Honeycomb is out sometime next year. So that implies that these tablets are going to have very few apps and a limited ability to download new ones. I hope Google's got a way around that, but if that's true, these new tablets may turn out to be expensive browser gadgets instead of full-fledged mobile devices. Hey, a nice thing from the list and that article is that there's a link to a community-maintained list of anticipated tablets that's a lot more comprehensive and detailed than the analyst list that's actually in the post. I recommend checking this one out to see the huge variety of tablets that are on the way. Related to that, Google isn't publishing a screen resolution for Android tablets. Of course, with Android, theoretically, it doesn't matter what screen resolution you're running. But it's nice to know from this chart that most of the new tablets will be running 1024 by 600 resolution or 800 by 480. Kind of the standard high density resolution for the handheld device is also going to move up to 7-inch devices. And uh, most of the 10 inches are going to be 1024 by 600. Now, that real resolution is good to know if you want to set up your tests for your Android apps. Uh, same thing along the testing side. Most of the devices have a minimum of 256 megabyte of RAM. Though, unfortunately, there are a couple of low-end models coming in at 128 megabytes with a 600 megahertz CPU and resistive touchscreen. doesn't look like Android's going to get away from that form factor for a while. I'm skeptical of multitasking OSs running with just 128 megabytes. Uh, Apple couldn't do it right. And can Android apps be set up to require 256 megabyte of RAM? The official Android minimum hardware requirements are much lower than the current standards that Apple with iOS and Microsoft with Windows Phone set. They require a minimum of 256 megabyte of RAM, and you really need to do that to run complex apps and do multitasking. Now, I was surprised to find out that manufacturers can build an official Android phone uh, one that's blessed by Google with just 92 megabytes of RAM, a 2 megapixel camera, and a low-density 240 by 320 touchscreen. Most Android phones, of course, have higher specs than that, and they meter beat the iPhone or, or the Windows phone. But those minimum specs I mentioned let phone makers create much cheaper smartphones and that can include the Google apps and the Android market. It could be a great strategic play, and it is happening now. Um, you can check out the new T-Mobile Comet, in the U.S., and that's just $10 with a two-year plan or $200 without a plan. That's got a 2.8-inch, 240 by 320 screen, 256 megabytes of RAM, which is not bad at all, and a 528 megahertz CPU. Google has a compatibility test that's supposed to verify the hardware is responsive enough before that phone or device is blessed by Google. But does that reflect real-world use? What do you think? Will low-priced smartphones open up more markets for Android or just give it a reputation for being low-quality and frustratingly underpowered? Building killer Android tablet apps. Lauren Darcy and Shane Condor have written an article on building Android tablet apps, design and development tips. Uh, that killer part seems a little link-baity, but it really is a well-written piece with solid code and testing advice to get your app in shape for the coming onslaught of Android tablets. 
check the show links for that. And uh, how long does it take to get your app into the Apple App Store? Casimir Saturnos, an independent developer, conducted a small-scale test, and he shares his experience submitting apps to the Apple App Store. He submitted six free apps over three weeks in July of August of this year. Four were accepted and two were rejected. For his six apps, the review process took between seven and nine days each over those three weeks. Now, if you're submitting apps in November, December, get hustling, because the App Store usually has holiday periods where nothing gets approved. How did Casimir's free apps do in the store? He did almost no promotion and received about four downloads per day for the most popular of the four apps, which was um, a news app for a little community for um, uh, our graphing. He did a little analysis of the stats, too. If you'd like to check it out, there's a link in the show notes. Now for a little cloud news. Amazon S3 prices were reduced. Amazon keeps lowering prices on their web services. They just reduced S3 storage prices up to 19%. The biggest savings are for smaller customers at the under 400 terabyte level. It looks like they're doing a lot to try to grab the smaller customers now, which is good for all of us, I think. Facebook mobile announcement. Facebook made their big mobile announcement last week that everyone was whispering about, and it was a bit of a letdown. No Facebook phone or even a major integration. We know they want to take over everything, uh, but this announcement wasn't it. Um, They announced places for mobile with a new deals feature, which is a lot like Foursquare. Uh, The deal check-ins are always public, so once again, they're making things public without really asking people. Uh, So watch out for that. The iPhone and Android Facebook apps are both getting updates for places and groups. Uh, We don't really care all too much about those things. There were a couple of items of interest to developers. Single sign-on for mobile was announced. It's like Facebook Connect. It'll let Facebook users log into your app with one click, no password required. Groupon, Yelp, and others are already supporting it. If your site supports Facebook Connect, you might want to add this new version to your mobile app. And if you hate Facebook like I do, you might not want They also announced an API for Facebook Places that allows developers to search, read, and publish those location-based check-ins. There's a link to the new Places API in the notes, and that one might be interesting to check out. The only fun moment of the announcement came when Zuckerberg was asked about the iPad, and he answered, It's not mobile, it's a computer. The reporter came back at him with, I think Apple would disagree with you. Well, sorry, Zuckerberg said sarcastically. Kara Swisher wrote a rebuttal to that on All Things D. And uh, Zuckerberg, he seemed to dismiss the iPad as just another computer. So she said, imagine if someone said to him that Facebook is not actually a social network. It's really a glorified portal with more chit-chat, sort of an AOL plus. (laughs) Right. Zuckerberg would love that as much as (laughs) Jobs would love hearing Zuckerberg say that the iPad is just another computer. But I think she's right. She goes on to make a good case for why the iPad form factor is a mobile device and not just another computer. It's typically carried around like a book or magazine. Uh, She says the touchscreen makes it much more intimate than a computer, and it doesn't create boundaries between people like a laptop does. The tablet is largely a consumption device, and like a phone, it's always on with no boot up. She points out that her iPad is not sitting on her desk like a computer. It's always in her bag with her iPhone ready to go. I love Swisher's response. And I also think Zuckerberg was just putting the iPad in a different category of device and not wanting to talk about it during the the mobile phone announcement time. Uh, I'll bet he comes along later with some big announcement for the iPad. Time will tell. 
hey, new Windows Phone Toolkit released. Here's one for my Windows Phone developer colleagues. David Anson from Microsoft just published the second iteration of the Silverlight for Windows Phone Toolkit and adds four more controls for enhancing all of your Windows Phone apps. There's an autocomplete box, a list picker, a long list selector, which he describes as List Picker Plus, and there are a lot of good features on that. Uh, there's some cool page transitions. And you can check out the show notes for the link if you're doing that Silverlight Windows Phone 7 development. Three mobile software rules from Tim Bray. Tim Bray, late of Sun and now at Google, is never short of intelligent opinion. And here he lays out three rules for Android mobile development that he's increasingly convinced should apply to all software. The first is crash only. The system can and does nuke your process anytime you're not active and it needs the memory, so it's your responsibility to save any state you might need in the future. And he says at some point, after I'd explained a few times why you have to write software this way on Android, I started wondering why all software, without exception, isn't written this way by default. His opinion isn't brand new here, and I agree. The save file commands a holdover from floppy disks and tiny hard drives. Really, it should have died the minute we started thinking about hard drives and gigabytes instead of megabytes. There's no good reason why most modern software should include it, and I look forward to the day when it's gone. Second rule is loose address slash type-driven coupling. Now, this one's a little more esoteric. Uh, technically, this rule is about how Android apps use a system a bit like web linking to move between screens and different apps. Android uses intent objects and an activity stack to manage handing off between components in the same app or between two different apps. Using an intent is a bit like linking on the web, and the activity history stack manages the intents, and that allows the Android back button to behave something like the back button in a web browser. So when you tap to do something, a stack is maintained, and then you can tap the back button to traverse back through different screens and different apps and media viewers, etc. It's a smart system, and Bray wonders if all software should work like this. I like the power behind the concept, but in practice, I'm not totally comfortable using the Android back button. Maybe it's just me, but I often tap it once more than I should and go past the app I was trying to return to, or I tap the home button, and that clears the action stack, and so I lose the history, and the back button doesn't do anything at all. And that was confusing to me until I figured out that the home button clears the stack, but I had to figure that out. And of course, there's no forward button like the web browser has, so if you do go too far back or you go home, you're out of luck. The history is gone. Now, iPhone, the iOS, only maintains a stack for the individual app. So task switching between apps should be cumbersome compared to Android's more sophisticated implementation with the nice, clean back button way of doing it. Sometimes that is true, but more often, I feel like Android's back button is unreliable for me. Maybe that's just me. Uh, the third rule, remove decoration. This rule is really simple. Mobile device screens are small, so focus on the data, not the decoration. He writes, With every hour I spend traversing here and there on the web, wincing away from sites that are decoration-heavy and smiling at the ones that are all message, the feeling grows. That's the remove decoration feeling, of course. Uh, I do feel the same way about decoration on mobile. I love a clean, simple screen but I think this one's more a matter of taste and style than a good general rule for the web or other apps. Life is short. Let the designers have some fun and make it pretty now and then. Can't all be like engineers. By the way, this show is brought to you by Falafel Software. 
expert U.S.-based development, consulting, and training services for Microsoft-based technologies and iOS, Android, and Windows Phone. Check out www.falafel.com for more info. Are you working on tools that help other developers deliver great business applications? Falafel Software is looking for some great teams to invest in. Ping us if you'd like to talk about working together. You can email me, Drew Wells, drew at falafel.com, D-R-E-W, at F-A-L-A-F-E-L dot com. Back to the good stuff. Uh, remember I mentioned iPhone market share before? Is the iPhone losing smartphone market share? Horace Daydu, market analyst and Apple champion, explains why Apple has not lost smartphone market share. In fact, he says, using the published data, it's easy to see that Apple has continued to increase share in both smartphones and handsets as a whole. Check the show links for the full article with graphs illustrating the data. The bottom line is Apple's share of smartphone market grew 4% from 13.5% to 17.4%. Nokia lost 5.6% of share. Samsung gained 4.6%. RIM BlackBerry lost 3%. Motorola and HTC were flat. I don't think many people doubt the number of Android devices will soon exceed the total iOS devices, but iOS is still more popular and far more profitable, so Apple may continue to control the most lucrative share of the market. Windows Phone 7 versus Android. The battle is on, and surprise result? Microsoft Windows Phone 7 beat Google Android in a head-to-head comparison. Of course, the website doing the comparison was neowin.net, a site devoted to Windows. Check the show notes for a link to the comparison and the always entertaining religious war in the comments. Now, if you choose to ignore Tim Bray and add some decoration to your app, modny73.com has a list of 42 websites with a, as they put it, vivid mobile web design. Uh, The post has nice screenshots and links to the sites for inspiration. You might find some ideas in there for a native app as well. Pretty good stuff. Does the Android kernel have a leakage problem? Coverity did another little marketing stunt and ran their analysis software on the Android source code and found 359 defects, 88 of which they categorized as high risk. There are plenty of headlines around like, Android kernel leaks like a colander. Uh, We can ignore them. The defects Coverity found were 0.47 per 1,000 lines of code compared to an industry average for open source projects of one defect per 1,000 lines. So the Android source was twice as good as most source code that's out there. Sounds pretty good. You're safe. But if you're a cracker looking for exploits in open source code, you should get yourself a copy of that Coverity software. Bad news is good news. I'll close with some bad news for IT and why I think it's good news for mobile developers. Dimension Consulting did a survey of 953 IT managers for Dell Case. 48% of those IT managers said that they'll continue to use Windows XP after 2014 when Microsoft support ends. So another five years of XP for those guys. And that's bad news for anyone who has to manage those PCs and maintain code for an OS that's almost 10 years old. It'll be 15 years old by the time they get done with it. Bad news for them, but I think it's good news for mobile developers because of why those IT managers are keeping XP. I think they're sticking with XP because Windows-style desktop computing hasn't offered any new user benefits since it matured in the early 90s. 
Mobile, on the other hand, does offer new benefits, and that's what users will demand, and that's where the new development will be. A lot of IT managers will try to avoid it, but their users will just go around them like they're doing now. They'll do it more, and then those managers will have to develop for mobile or let things run wild. So you know what they'll do? They'll end up moving to mobile, and then they're going to fund many new projects, and that's great news for mobile developers. Thanks for listening to the Mobile Developer Show. I'm Drew Wells. Please email me at drew at with your comments and suggestions. I'd love to hear from you. See you next week.